Welcome to the weekly teaching podcast of Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, recorded live at 2828 Crossover in Fayetteville, Arkansas. For notes and resources accompanying this teaching, visit gracechurchnwa.org. Thanks for listening. We're glad you're here. And welcome to Grace Church. Welcome to church this morning. Welcome to the place where we are free and safe to sit in the confidence of the presence of the Lord and together as brothers and sisters, as disciples and pilgrims who together are living as pilgrim people in a world that at times seems very dangerous and full of hurt. Um, I'm taking this cue from Randall Waldron. He said at times, there were times in a previous church where the text was so somber or the situation was demanding of it that they knew when the pastor pulled out his, what was it, when he either read from his notes or sat down that it was, it was a little bit different. So it's a little bit different today. We're going to deal very forthright with some very serious things. And I, I want to start by telling you a story. It was my first semester in seminary, and things were not going well. Um, the workload of being a full-time student and also having two almost full-time jobs, at the same time, uh, our family still very raw in our grief from losing Olivia. It, it all seemed unmanageable. And then there was this book that I was assigned. And this particular book struck me wrong from page one and got worse every page I read. And I was really struggling with the content and the, the purpose and the workload in this book. And so I took advantage of, of a chance meeting with the professor from the course who had assigned this uh, in the hallway to start to vent my spleen to her. <laughs> to give my list of grievances over this book and, and why I didn't think it was appropriate and why are we reading this and this whole thing. And, and you got to understand Dr. Morse, Dr. Mary-Kate Morse, uh, who has since become uh, just one of my favorite people, period, much less professors and mentors. A very diminutive woman, blonde hair, blue eyes, bright smile, uh, not your image of a stodgy old seminary professor at all. And uh, she stood there looking up at me uh, as I was going off on this with her smile. And she waited till I finished. And then she just looked up at me and she goes, well, John, some people just aren't cut out for seminary and turned on her heels and walked off. Just smoked me. I mean, I don't know how long it was before I could move from that place of what had just happened in this encounter. We're going to see a similar experience with Jeremiah this week in our text. And I think also, as we submit ourselves to Scripture and we submit ourselves to one another in the power of the Holy Spirit, we may hear God speak something similar to us as a church, as Grace Church, but as a church larger than that as we go. 
So pray with me as we start our look into this. Holy Spirit, we submit ourselves to you this morning. And we know that you ask us not just to be passive, but to bring our questions, our fear, our anger, our doubt. God, show us a way not to have these things smoothed over or just taken away, but to really get to the root so that we can be the light that this world needs, that you've called us to be as the church together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. The text we're going to look at, I feel, is an incredibly appropriate text for us as a church, for us as a nation. Um, as I said earlier, I, I participated in in two of the prayer vigils that went on this week. Uh, my first text this week uh, was to Nick, you know, who serves faithfully with the police department here. It's just as soon as I heard the news, you know, Nick, your face came to my mind in that and uh, what you were going through and what you were experiencing. Um. So we need to sit with this. We need to sit with this. We need to listen to the voices. We need to be very slow in our knee-jerk responses as we do this. And I think what helps us do that is the text that we study this week. So let's, let's look at that. I'm gonna, when we're starting a new series um, we, we've finished up. Dr. Farthing did such a fantastic job, although I haven't got a chance to hear it yet. I'm, I'm anxious to hear it, but being involved in the process and reading the notes um, and hearing the feedback uh, last week apparently was incredible. And thank you for doing that, wrapping that part up. And now for the rest of the summer, we're going to be looking at the Psalms of Ascent uh, in the Hebrew. It is the Sharei Hamaloth. These are the psalms that the people would sing as they went up to the festivals in Jerusalem three times a year. Archaeologists tell us that there is a number of steps that lead up to the Temple Mount and that they are corresponding to the numbers of the Psalms of Ascent. And so that they think that the people would come to one, psalm, one, to one stair and they would stop and they would sing this song, this psalm. And then they would march to the next one and they would sing the next as they ascended up to the Temple Mount. And I'm sure that they were practiced along the way. They weren't reserved just for those steps. It wasn't just observed as a formality. But these were the songs that were sung around the campfire. These were the songs that were sung as they were packing the donkeys and getting ready and corralling the kids and going up for the festivals. But we have to, we have to be careful not to just put them in the category of religious function. They weren't that. They're, the Psalms of Ascent also serve as a very appropriate metaphor for growing up. It's not just going up, but it is growing up. These Psalms give us a framework for understanding our experiences in life. 
Now, if you want to, if you want to get a preview on where we're going to go, we're going to do the first half of these this summer, and hopefully the, the second half next summer. Eugene Peterson, who is a, one of the guiding theologians that I look to, um, has written a magnificent book on this called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. We're going to draw a lot on that material. So if you want to really in, enhance your study over these next weeks in the summer, uh, buy that book. Read it. Reread it. Re-reread it. As I often do. It's, it's the, the one book that I think, other than the Bible, that I've uh, given to each of my kids and try to go through with them. So he sets a lot of the background for where, what we're going to study. Um, we need to understand as we do this, even though it is a, a short study this summer, that what, contain, what is contained in there takes a lifetime to understand. This is not a quick how-to series. This is not some shortcut to maturity. In fact, it's the opposite. It is a clarion call to a life immersed in the community of the church, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and in being a pilgrim people and a light in a world that does not know God. So let's look, let's look. But before we get into the Psalms themselves, we're going to look at an interchange that the prophet Jeremiah has that sets the tone for our study. And Jeremiah, the, the weeping prophet, the young prophet, um, I wish we had time to study more. I wish we had more time. But Jeremiah gives us a, a great example of someone who deals honestly with God, who wrestles with God, who dares to ask questions to God. And so in chapter 12, we see him doing that exact thing. We see him asking questions. In a way, making accusations against God. And it starts here. He says, he says you're right, God. And you have set things right. I can't argue with that, but I do have some questions. How many of us have felt that complexity of emotions, right? Like we know, hey, we're supposed to say the right thing. We're supposed to pray the right thing. We know that God is good. We know that God is in control. We know these things right here, right? But then we have these questions. Why the violence? Why, why the cancer? Why the bankruptcy? Why the hatred? Why the death? And Jeremiah dares to ask those questions. And he says this, he says, why do bad people have it so good? Why do con artists make it so big? And I'm reading from Peterson's translation of the message here. Why do con artists make it big? You planted them and they put down roots. They flourished and produced fruit. They talk as if they're old friends with you, but they couldn't care less about you. Meanwhile, you know me inside and out. You don't let me get away with a thing. Make them pay for the way they live. Pay with their lives like sheep marked with the slaughter. How long do we have to put up with this? 
the country depressed, the farms in ruin, and because of wickedness, these wicked lives, even animals and birds are dying off because they'll have nothing to do with God and think God has nothing to do with them. And let's pause there for a minute. And let's be honest. Have you felt that way? Have you felt that way? Like, hey, I'm playing by the rules. I'm paying my taxes. I'm doing my homework. And I'm, and I'm slipping back. I, I can't seem to get ahead. And this guy over here, he's doing half the work and getting twice the reward. He's, he's cutting corners. He's cheating. And, and he's the one that gets the award. He gets the promotion. She gets the raise. And that's just, that's just in the, the personal stuff. That's where we feel it, right? Much less the bigger issues. Why is that person the candidate? Why is that person the CEO? Why, is, why does that person get to make the call? There's a hundred other people that are much more qualified and have done a better job. And they're the ones being laid off, having their hours cut, being left out. And we look at that. And you know what? It is good to say those things. It is good to let them out. If we're willing to listen to the response. So what would you expect? Put yourself in this place. Jeremiah's complaints here are not illegitimate. Jeremiah's complaints here are absolutely consistent with the reality that he was experiencing. They're not frivolous. They're not unfounded. And so you would expect God, possibly, to respond something like, well, Jeremiah, you're right. Jeremiah, just hold on. Jeremiah, just remember I'm sovereign and it'll all work out in the end. Jeremiah, I feel your pain. Jeremiah, it's going to be okay. But look at the response that we get. And this is God talking in response. So Jeremiah... If you're worn out in this foot race with men, what makes you think you can race against the horses? If you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when trouble breaks loose like the Jordan's flood? Whoa. I mean, talk about being smoked. So what's happening here? Is this just a beatdown? Is this just God saying, hey, shut up and get in line, Jeremiah? Is this God saying, hey, you have no right to address me that way? I don't think so at all. And let me explain why as we go through this. First of all, we have to understand life is unfair. Life, as we experience here, is not fair. Right? How many parents... When you're having the discussion with your kids, have to come back time and time again to this idea 
life just isn't fair. And if we have as our standard of understanding, our standard of what it means to get through, of how this is going to work, that somehow God is going to make everything fair, that the good people are going to have good things happen to them all the time, and the bad things are going to have bad things happen to them all the time, we're in for a rough ride, y'all. Because it's not going to work out that way. It is not going to work out that way. And it's particularly easy for those of us who feel like we're playing by the rules to take up an offense at the unfairness. It is particularly easy for those of us who feel like we've really worked hard at this. Like I've really done the I've really committed myself to do the right thing in the right way at the right time with the right people, and then it doesn't work out to be offended. Is that not true? Well, here's the thing. Life may not be fair. Life may not be fair, but that does not mean God is not just. And it does not mean that God doesn't care. And it does not mean that God doesn't have an answer. What it means is... We either grow up or we spend our life in petty bitterness, disappointment, sitting on the sidelines, wishing for things to be different than they were. Y'all, what God is saying to Jeremiah is, son, it's time to grow up. Not in a condemning way, not in a shaming way, but he's inviting him into maturity. And that takes a long time. Peterson, in his book, he says this. He says, one aspect of the world that I've been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Growing up in Christ is a lifetime endeavor, if not an endeavor for all eternity. That's why we come to church once a week. Because we need to be reminded. We need to put ourselves in the place of listening and learning and participating with imperfect people in an imperfect situation in an unfair world to orient ourselves to a God who leads a way through that. To orient our hearts our minds, our souls, our relationships to the only source capable of providing meaning in the midst of that. Because if we're looking for fairness, we're not going to get it. But there is a source that is competent, more than competent, to give meaning in the midst of that. And that's where it comes to this thing is that we all need perspective. We desperately, right now, need perspective. You see, because I I don't think God is saying in this text, I don't think he's saying, hey, just shut up, Jeremiah, and try harder. 
Who are you to question me? Go sit in the corner. He's not saying that at all. What, What Dr. Morse did to me that day in her response is she treated me like an adult. She did not coddle me. She did not condescend to me. She did not try to rescue me. She basically said, if you're going to make it, you need to grow up. And I credit that experience as one of the singular reasons why I was able to finish a grueling five-year curriculum in seminary. Was that experience, that one sentence in the hallway, called me to maturity. It treated me like a person. It treated me like an adult. And I think that's what God is doing with Jeremiah here. And I think that if we'll let it, that's what he's saying to us. Is he says, look, you think this is unfair? <laughs> you think this is bad? If you, can't, if you can't get it together here, what are you going to do when it really gets bad? What are you going to do when you really suffer through those seasons where it seems life seems unbearable? Life itself seems unbearable. What are you going to do in the seasons when you cannot conceive? What are you going to do in the seasons where you cannot pay the bills? What are you going to do in the seasons where everything you put your hand to seems to turn to ash? And there will be seasons like that. Who are you going to turn to? What are you going to do? And he's not saying that as some kind of condemnation. He's not saying that as like as a dismissal. He's saying that in a way to stir up within us that hunger for maturity, to stir up within us that desire not just for things to be okay, but for things to be transformed. I have listened to the prayers of the people this week in light of the tragedies that have happened. And most people just pray for relief. They have a shallow, superficial idea that as long as they're okay, as long as their kids are okay, as long as their house is safe, then everything's right in the world. And they're begging God, just to make all the bad stuff go away so they can go back to living their life the way they want to live it. That is not what we are called to do as the church. We are not called, as Brother John said last week, to put our own needs, our own identity, our own self first, and then ask God to take care of everybody else. We are called to empty ourselves. We are called to sacrificial engagement with those who suffer around us. We are called to suffer with those who suffer, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. 
We are called to consider the needs of others as if they were our own. No matter their skin color, the language they speak, their economic status, or the church or religion they practice. If we can't do that, when those seasons come, we will not. We will be overwhelmed. We'll be crushed. We will be destroyed and scattered with that. We need perspective that comes from beyond our own, our own sight, our own needs, our own experience. We have to have God's perspective. A friend asked me the other day, he said, can you suggest a Bible study for me? He said, because I'm tired of reading books. I'm tired of reading other people's perspectives. I want God's perspective. So can you give me a Bible study? And I thought about it, and I thought, there may be nothing that gives you one person's perspective more than a Bible study. (laughs) It's It's actually... Every Bible study you will read is a very well-crafted reflection of someone's perspective, of one person or one small group's perspective. Only it comes guised as being objective. And so we kind of let our our defenses down that we would have if someone was just writing a book telling you, hey, here's my perspective, this is what I think. And so I responded, I said, look, I'm not going to give you a Bible study, but what I'm going to invite you to do is learn how to study the Bible. And that's a very different thing. And and that's what we're trying to do here at Grace Church. We're trying to grow up in the maturity that allows us to understand how we as individuals together collectively, gathered together collectively, can study this word that leads us to an understanding that transcends our individual experience. That transcends even our cultural experience but gives us a perspective that is greater than that is limited to our specific time and place. That's how we get God's perspective with that. Ultimately, this passage that we see is a dialogue. Ultimately, what we see is God is not condemning Jeremiah as much as what he's saying is, Jeremiah, I'm I'm inviting you to to speak with me. I'm inviting you to see things as I see them. You experience this as the flood. We experience this as the flood. God says, no, no, no. There's a a flood coming, and it's going to be way different than this. Are we willing to do that with God? Are we willing to let his perspective override ours? Are we truly willing to submit our assessment of what is right and what is wrong, what is appropriate and inappropriate to God? Are we ultimately willing to submit what we feel is necessary even and let God define that? Instead of our own wants, our own demands, our own culture and society.
It's not easy. It's not easy. I'm, I'm, I cannot sit here and tell you that it's easy. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll tell you, it's maybe the toughest thing we have to do as Christians is to so let God's perspective overwhelm ours that it becomes ours and not continually dictate to God our wants and our imagination on His. And so that leads us to this last thing. Well, how do we develop then? How do we develop? We talk about it at Grace a lot, this active gospel imagination, this engagement with Scripture. Um, I love this quote. Uh, I've used it here before. Um, the author said, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them task and work but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Listen, the gospel, the gospel is not a list of rules. It's not some preset pattern that we have to just rigidly be forced into. It is a total different way of imagining life, the world and everything in it. It is a beautiful, scary, all-encompassing, all-transforming imagination for humanity and the universe and everything. And our imaginations are so poverty-struck. They're so emaciated by the toxic diet of this world of buy and sell and compete and division and walls. And in order for that imagination to grow, in order for that imagination to be real in us, in order for that imagination to to take root in us and grow out in us and mature us and grow us out, we have to discipline ourselves to the disciplines that do that thing. We have to learn to feed ourselves on the Word. We have to learn not to be dependent on Bible studies and books alone, although they can be tremendous guides. We have to learn to feed ourselves on the Word. We have to learn to submit ourselves to each other in community. You are going to be stunted in your growth if you try to make this a self-help project. If you try to do this in isolation. It will not happen because it can only happen in relationship. As messy and as difficult as those are. So we have to submit ourselves to the word. We have to submit ourselves to one another in this place called the church. And we have to submit ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to be praying, as Paul says, praying ceaselessly, asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit in our jobs, in our kitchens, in our laundry rooms, in our garages, in our commutes, in our drives. We have to be filtering everything through the Holy Spirit. We have to consider everything that we read, everything that we watch, everything that we listen to, what we wear, where we live, what we drive, 
the words we speak through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that can seem overwhelming. It can seem overwhelming. But ultimately, it. can you all come to Mexico with me, please? Because there's this illustration that I give in Mexico. I take everybody down to the beach with surfboards. And I, and I talk about surfing. And if you've ever surfed, you know this. You know this. That surfing is this weird thing. Surfing, like when you say, I'm going running, what do you do most of the time? You run, right? If I say, hey, well, I'm going for a bike ride, what I do the majority of that time is I ride my bike. But if I tell you I'm going surfing, most of the time I am not surfing. Most of the time I'm paddling for my life. Most of the time I'm getting rolled by the waves. Most of the time I'm actually falling and getting wet. Because surfing is when you are on top of the board, on top of the wave. And for me at least, that only happens a very small fraction of the time that I'm in the water. But every time I go, I spend a little bit more time on that board. I spend a little bit more time upright. That's what this is like. Yeah, when I tell you, when I, when I tell myself, pray ceaselessly, be open to the Spirit, and envision everything through the power of the Holy Spirit, it, it's like surfing for the first time. All I feel like I'm getting is, is rolled. I just feel like I'm getting Maytagged every time a wave hits. My arms are tired and I don't know how to read them and I don't know how to do it. But as I do it, as that develops, when you catch that wave, when you get up on that board for the first time, it is so glorious. The feeling is so indescribably different than just about anything we can do. You go, well, of course I would do all that. Of course I will go surfing. And most of the time, spend my time paddling and being rolled in the waves and doing these other things. Because that is worth it. And that's what I want to tell you this morning, is it's worth it. It's worth weeding through all the stuff. It's worth putting up with all the boredom. It's worth putting up with all the people who just, if, if you didn't go to church together, you may not spend any time with them at all. I mean, this is a weird group we do. And we submit ourselves to one another. And then we work to, to weed our way through the, all the voices telling us what the Bible means to find what the Bible means, to study it for ourselves with that. Listen. In this text, God is not saying, you think this is bad, just wait. Instead, he's calling us to a much deeper faith, a much richer vision of his power and kingdom and presence. He's saying, I will be with you in even greater things. You think, you think I, this is the thing. Wait, when we go through other things, but I will be with you. And I am competent to carry you through those things. But we have to get our eyes on Jesus and off the circumstances. We have to refocus and take his perspective and not lean on our own perspective with that. And we have to cultivate that active 
gospel imagination. So in these next weeks, what we're going to do is study these psalms. We're really going to study them. We're going to listen to them. We're going to start to sing them. We're going to sing these songs. And we're going to let them give us a framework for growing up. Not just going up to the temple, but growing up in Christ. Growing up in maturity as we do that. And as we do that, we pray that our imagination and our lives will be transformed in such a way that we can bring healing to others. That we can bring truth and light and grace into a world that desperately needs it. Thank you for being part of that. Uh, Lucian and Josie, if you all want to come up. Um, As they come up, I want to remind you that one of the places where we renew that, one of the places we're reminded is this table. Think about the ceaseless hospitality of this table. You may have had a great week. You may have done everything and played by the rules and got rewarded for it. You're welcome. Here, you're welcome at the table. You may have played by the rules and just got batted down, had a terrible work week. You're welcome at the table. You know what? You may have thrown the rules out the window. (laughs) You may not have done one thing to earn anything this week. You're welcome at this table. The relentless hospitality of God to invite us to the table. It's here. We take it not because we earned it, because it's offered. And it's offered for us without exception to those seeking the life of Jesus. We'll also take up an offering during this time. And I invite you also to pray. Pray for each other. Pray for our country. Pray for those who are mourning so deeply. Pray for those who are just consumed by fear. Pray for those who are clinging to things they need to let go of. Pray for those who put themselves in danger every day. And pray that we would be a light in the midst of this. Thanks for being here. Thanks again for listening to the weekly podcast from Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. If you have any comments or questions or would like to know more about us, visit gracechurchnwa.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram too. We hope you join us again soon. In the meantime, grace and peace and have a great week.